the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And this is the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. We're glad you're with us tonight. We're now in our fourth year. God, it only seems like yesterday I was a quivering, nervous wreck a bit on uh, doing the first show. And if you've missed any of the shows over those years, go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and you'll find all of the shows and about 180 interviews with some of the top movers and shakers on the planet. It's it's really I've I listen to them quite regularly and it's an amazing source of information from for any entrepreneur, in fact anybody in business it doesn't matter who you are, and uh, I've worked and the people that I've interviewed have worked with literally thousands of corporations and startups over the years, and there's a huge number of really valuable lessons. So I um, urge you to go back and have a listen to some of those. I'm very pleased that you keep listening in big numbers and I welcome you back to the show. Everyone, no matter what you do for a living, is a salesman, not only in business but also in your private life. You've always got to convince people to do something. You might be on a committee somewhere and you need to try and get people to come across to vote your way or in business where you're trying to raise money or you're trying to sell somebody something after you've got a product. So it doesn't matter. In almost every facet of your life, you have to sell somebody something. And there's only six motivations for buying, anything at all, just six. Uh, So I thought that um, because a lot of you – are involved in selling stuff every day. So I thought that um, I'd discuss each of these six motivations and that might be beneficial to every listener in the program, whether you've got a business or not. Now, none of these motives are more important than another one. They're all about equal importance. So, And bear in mind that um, at least one of these motives, although often more than one, apply to every single pitch you do every single time you're trying to bring somebody around to your point of view. Now, the first motivation is the desire to gain something. So the first motive stems from the person you're trying to get to agree to something, wanting to gain financially by purchasing whatever it is that you're selling. Now, this desire for gain could cause a company to purchase a software package because it believes that employees will be more efficient if they use it, and um, therefore the gain is that the company will make a greater profit 
It could be your child simply committing to study harder because of some incentive that you offer. The desire for gain could also prompt an individual to buy real estate or some other personal investment. They buy because they hope to gain a financial edge through purchasing your product or the service you offer. The second motivation for somebody to buy something for you is fear of loss. Just as people can be motivated by a hope for gain, they can also be motivated by the anxiety of losing what they already have or what they think they have. This buying motive relates to the fear of financial loss if the product or service is not bought. It may prompt a store owner to install a security system or hire a security firm. And the the fear of loss is a prime motivation in the purchase of insurance, whether it's liability insurance or insurance to protect an individual against identity theft. It doesn't really matter. The hope of preserving one's financial viability remains the same. The third motivation for someone to buy something from you is comfort and convenience. What would you do without your fabulous new foam mattress or your digital cable television? Or who the hell could live without an iPad? Now, most of us work bloody long hours and really hard to get the things that we want. So after a really hard day, what better way is it to soothe your tired body and relax your mind than by coming home to a hot, bubbling jacuzzi? So purchasing goods and services that promote relaxation can offer us a sense of ease in our busy lives. They are often the things that most of us justify working such long hours for in the first place. We reward ourselves with purchases that enrich the quality of our lives and the lives of our families. They ease our tensions and the stress, and they make us feel good. The fourth motivation for buying anything is security and protection. People make countless per, 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 <laughs> people. Too many P's in this sentence. People make countless purchases motivated by the desire to keep themselves, their families, and their properties safe. We need only to um, look at the sales of mace, car alarms, and private security companies to see how important this buying motivation is to so many of us. So as we get more and more publicity about crime, so does the purchase of self-protection, such as guns, increase. As the instances and the publicity surrounding obesity and heart disease and diabetes. So as there's more publicity about those things, so does the market for diet plans, vitamins and health clubs. They all increase. So we're motivated irregardless of what we're afraid of, by a strong need to purchase whatever it is that will protect us from harm. The fifth motivation for purchasing something is pride of ownership. Why does a person buy an expensive home or buy a um, uh, Lamborghini or 
a boss suit. For example, to see our loved ones happy, we'll make a significant purchase. We might buy jewellery or flowers or buy a vacation to Disney World. You could just pick up the tab for friends at dinner. Makes you feel good, doesn't it? So the pride in caring and providing special things for those who are important to us is the result of very deep-seated emotions. We feel good making the purchase because we gain love and appreciation. I mean, we strive to get approval and avoid rejection at almost any cost. So the satisfaction of emotion relates directly to our need for love and, of course, to satisfy our ego. As you've probably realised by now, people buy emotionally, no matter what the purchase is, whether it makes you feel good or makes you feel sad. The initial reaction is to buy is always based on an emotional one. Now, once we've made that emotional decision, we then justify it pragmatically and, of course, logically. But the emotional trigger is much more powerful. So unless there's a really compelling pragmatic reason not to buy, people will go ahead with the purchase. So your job before you pitch somebody, whatever it is you're trying to flog them, is to determine which of these six triggers or which combination of these six triggers is more likely to get them to commit. And then you create a very persuasive emotional argument based on those triggers that they can't refuse. So I expect everybody to go out tomorrow and have a record day selling. Go out there. Go get them. You just need to think about it. I often say this. You've got to think before you act. And if you do that, you never know what success can come your way. Now, about a month ago, I had a guy on the show from a company called XPED who had a product called DEB that enables you to operate all of the products in the Internet of Things with just one device, your smartphone. I was complaining that to just operate my television and cable, I need two remotes. That's ridiculous. You know, why do you need two remotes? With today's technology, it seems to be ridiculous. Well, John Schultz has invented a system that enables you to operate everything from your curtains to your, to your life, to your toaster, to your jug, to everything with just one device. So you walk in, put on your lights, put on your stove, put on your toaster, open the curtains, all with one little device. How cool is that? Every time I pick up two remotes to operate a simple bloody television set, it drives me bonkers. So we had a great reaction to John's segment. And he's just listed on Kickstarter to enable commercialization of the product. So I thought I would have a chat to him again so that encourage you to go to Kickstarter, throw in a few bucks. So I got him, I got him on the phone just a couple of days ago, and this is the conversation we had. A couple of weeks ago, 
I was speaking about how I need two remotes to operate my television, which is ridiculous. I mean, it's one simple piece of equipment. You need two remotes to operate it. And I was questioning how the hell are we going to cope when the Internet of Things, where we've got practically every item in the house, all interconnected? What, are we going to have a room full of remotes? Well, just as the web browser changed the world by enabling us to interact with any website, I've heard about a new product from XPED, that's an X-P-E-D, which is really breakthrough technology. This unit is called the Device Browser, and it enables us to interact with a new generation of device, no matter what type of device or what brand it is. So you've got one controller for everything in your house. How good is that? So imagine this sort of much simpler future where you just use your smartphone to control and monitor every device or any device. Imagine if you could replace all your apps and all these bloody annoying remotes with just one simple app or view and manage the energy usage. I must admit, I don't do any of that monitoring energy usage, but I suppose at some point in the future we might have to, of every device in your home, just from the convenience of your phone. Now, the world's first device browser app, DB, I'm not sure what that means, but we'll find out in a minute, appears to be able to deliver that dream. This new technology, soon to be released into a range of smart home products, it simplifies how we'll connect and interact with devices around us. And it's available today through XPED's Kickstarter campaign. I love, you got to love Kickstarter, don't you? I mean, it's helped so many entrepreneurs to get their products into the market. Now, the device browser, backed by 10 patent applications, has been developed by founders John Schultz, Chris Wood and their team. And uh, I've invited their CEO, John Schultz, to join us and explain just how they got to this point and... Uh, some information about the Kickstarter campaign. Hi, John. Welcome back Hi, to Bob. the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Yeah, thanks, Bob, for having me on again. A lot's happened in two weeks. Great. So what makes this app different to all the others out there? Uh, it's very different in a lot of ways. We're developing a whole new generation of device, and just like we use one web browser to access anyone's website, I mean, we take that for granted these days, don't yep. we? Yeah, um, we do. Imagine if we had to have one app for every website, it'd just drive us mad. Uh, so just like we can do that, our device browser app, we call it DEB, just short for device browser, DEB. Oh, uh, that allows us I should have worked that out, shouldn't I? Uh, that's all right, no <laughs> problem, Bob. Yeah, that's going to allow us to use this one app to interact with any device that developers build, whether it's whatever brand, whatever type it is, the single app will do that. So it could be curtains, it could be a... a, a, a yeah, curtains, lights, um, pool pump, whatever you like. All from the one app. Correct, correct. <laughs> That's brilliant. You've got me already. Now, <laughs> yeah. how is it possible when everybody else seems to need to build their own app? Yeah, it's it's possible because we've had to really start from the ground up and start building all new technology. What everyone's doing is just taking the technologies that are out there and just trying to band-aid it all together to make the IoT work, but it doesn't work like that. It just hasn't worked. Um, our new technology completely changes devices. What they do is they describe themselves to a controller, which is the DEB app on your phone. Yeah. So 
because they describe to the controller how they work and, and what their controls are, the device browser doesn't need to know any prior information about these things because when they connect, the device describes or in fact teaches itself how it should be controlled and interacted with. So that's quite a revelation. Um, the other thing too is that developers don't actually have to write their own app for their own device anymore. They just describe their device in a simple text document that goes in a file in the device and it's that file that um, Deb uses to, to know how to connect and control. So it really simplifies a lot of things. Okay. It's, um, how do you actually connect to devices? Oh, yeah. Well, that's pretty tricky these days, isn't it? But with our it system, sure we use... Yeah, it's quite frustrating. <laughs> uh, our system, we use NFC on a smartphone. Right. And all we do is you tap your smartphone to the device that you want to control and interact with. Okay. And for phones, yeah, so in that simple tap, what happens is you set up a secure long-range wireless network and uh, the user interface paints itself on, on Baz, on, on, the, on the Deb app, on the, on the smartphone, and you're ready to control. It's really that simple. Okay. Um, now, last time you mentioned about phones that don't have NFC, uh, we also have a discovery uh, model as well, so you can discover the hub and therefore the devices as well. So it's really simple. It won't be that long before everybody's got NFC or some version. I think so. Of, That's yeah. right. That's right. So do you need the internet for this to work? I suppose you do, do you? Well, everyone else seems to, but um, of course we use the internet, but yeah. quite unique with our solution is it will work out of the box, even if you don't have an internet. Now, this is a fundamental shift to what everyone else is doing. Our devices are actually what we call smart devices. Hmm. Everyone else's devices require on the cloud and they get their smarts from the cloud. Ours will work non-connected. So the beauty of that is a manufacturer can build a product and sell it and know that it will actually work correctly even if the end customer doesn't have an internet connection. And Jeez. the other good... The other good thing is, of course, that uh, people who are paranoid about security or um, getting hacked into, they can actually work offline if they want and still have a smart home and still control and monitor all their devices. So yeah. this is really something very different. Of course, they can do more things and do out-of-home monitoring if they have right. um, an internet connection, but we don't mandate it. You don't have to have difference. it. So That's exactly right. How, how do you stop hackers? I mean, I, I didn't... Uh, segment on the program a couple of months ago probably yeah. about how hackers are hacking into people's um, computers and things through their fridge yes, and their yes, toaster. Yeah, and... that's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's a big problem. I think, I mean, we, we've taken a bit of a considered look uh, at our solution because there's a lot of companies out there who are getting wrapped up in the hype of the IoT yep. and what we're seeing is they're pushing products out too soon, underdeveloped and they're not taking... Um, the responsibility of implementing all the security layers that you need to. Yeah. We have done that. And, you know, we could have been out there a year ago like everyone else, but right. we have made sure the security layer is, is there in place before we launch. Yeah, I think people have sort of figured that a toaster's a toaster. What, what harm can yeah. it do? And then yeah. the bad guys come along and think, aha, a yeah, toaster. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> okay, yeah. this, that sounds fantastic. Where do you see this technology going? Uh, well, it's, uh, it's a million-dollar question, isn't it? But since we've launched Kickstarter, it's really started to take a life on its own. Right. Uh, basically, I'm responding to hundreds of emails from fans, I guess you call them, who can't wait for this technology to be delivered. Brilliant. Developers just love it. 
Um, only last night we actually spoke to a veteran developer, one of these hacker developer community right. functions, and his, his words were, look, he's heard a lot of hype about IoT systems, you know, from big corporates, small guys, sure. and he said, this is the only solution he's seen that he feels he can really get behind. Right. Uh, it seems to be something that people are really latching on to. Well, if it, if, um, if it works with so, everything and you yes. don't need an internet yes. and it's, it's secure... Yes. I mean, and, that, that, and developers don't have to write an app. That's and developers thousands don't have to write of an app. dollars. And you that's don't exactly need right. got one device. That's, that's, yeah. that's fantastic. So who it are you is. targeting with Kickstarter? Uh, well, our initial market, target market, is developers. Right. Of course, that's the obvious thing, isn't it? Sure, but yeah. what we're finding is that people who fall in love with the dream, if you like, of this simplicity, they're actually pledging just to support the cause. Yeah. And that's, that's really exciting to us because it's opening it up to a bigger market than we had anticipated. Mm. So anyone who wants to simplify technology in the future, you know, if they want to get behind us, go to Kickstarter and just search on XPED and they'll find us. Okay, so that's... Xped, so John, that all sounds great. Um, I'm all for it. I, I, I tell you, every time I try to work the TV and I need two remotes, <laughs> I'm just about to throw the whole lot out the window, dump it in exactly. the harbour or something. Exactly. Um, so, guys, if you're listening, uh, get on to Kickstarter. You want to have help develop this device. The device is developed. It just needs funding to take it to the next stage. Exactly. So, if you want to help simplify the Internet of Things and make your life easier instead of harder, get on to Kickstarter, look up XPED, that's X-P-E-D, X-P-E-D. And, John, congratulations on the XPED DB. <laughs> Deb, device browser, yeah, Deb, no problem. device browser. And uh, I hope you keep me up to date on how the Kickstarter campaign's going. Will do. Thank Fantastic. You. Thanks for the time. Thanks. You're listening to Voice America Business, and I'll be back in a moment with my guest, Don Levy, who has served on the front lines of the digital transformation of entertainment for 17 years. He led the communication efforts for top visual effects and digital animation studio, Sunny Pictures Image Works. So he's, um, he founded his new venture, Smith Brook Farm, a media, entertainment, and tech consultancy. In fact, Don's a really good friend of mine, and he's speaking at TEDx in Athens on November the 15th, so make sure you're on the lookout for that. Don's last TEDx talk was fantastic. I'll be back with Don in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. 
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the part of the show where we talk to really extraordinary people. People that have enjoyed great success and people that have really made a difference. There are some amazingly talented people in this world. I love to speak to them because they've got so much that they can teach all of us, including me. I need to speak to as many of these people as I can. My aim in these interviews is to find out what are the characteristics that they have that makes them great and how each of us can learn from them. My guest today is an amazing talent. He's a great guy. And I'm proud to say that he's a friend of mine. And we're actually working together on a television and a film project. Don Levy has served on the front lines of the digital transformation of entertainment. For 17 years, he led the communication efforts for top visual effects and digital animation studio, Sunny Pictures Imageworks. He joined Sony Pictures and Imageworks when it was just 40 people and a dream in 1995. Starting as an awards campaign consultant, he helped the studio grow in both size and reputation, beginning with its first Academy Award for the animated short The Chub Chubs in 2003 and continuing with the 2005 Academy Award for Best Visual Effects for Spider-Man 2. The effects in that were great. As the Senior Vice President of Marketing and Communications for Sony Pictures, he directed corporate communications, marketing and public relations for not only Sony Pictures Imageworks, but Sony Pictures Digital Entertainment, as well as for Sony Pictures Animation and Sony Online Entertainment. Don left Sony in June of 2012 to develop a new family entertainment venture and founded Smithbrook Farm, a media, entertainment, and technology consultancy. Don's a visiting scholar at the University of Southern California School of Cinematic Arts Entertainment Technology Center, and is teaching entertainment marketing at Boston's University's Los Angeles internship program. All that means is that he's a bloody smart guy and knows a hell of a lot. He's also a member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences on its Feature Animation Nominating Committee. Don's a real legend in the movie business, and it's a privilege to have him on the show. Hi, mate. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Oh, wow. Thank you, Bob. That's quite an introduction. Yeah, well, you've now done a hell of a lot. Now I just have to live up to it in our conversation. You've done so much. I mean, it's been an extraordinary career. And, um, you know, you should be really proud of yourself. Well, thank you. I, you know, a lot of it, Bob, is just uh, waking up every day uh, curious. Uh, I look at each day as a little adventure. 
And I try to have as good a time as I possibly can while also serving whoever it is I'm working with or is asked of me. But, you know, try to have a good time while you're doing it. Keep a smile on your face. Uh, and I'm really driven by that, that curiosity. I learn something every day. Yeah, I think the difference is most of us wake up every day and want to have a little adventure, but you've had woken up most days and had a bloody big adventure. And that um, and that's what makes you extraordinary and not one of the rest of us, I guess. Let me ask you, let me start by asking you a very basic but I suspect not very simple to answer question. What makes entertainment popular? Why is one movie with well-known directors and producers and actors successful while another with equally successful people fail when all the major studios have access to the most extraordinary research on audience likes dislikes behavior why does that happen well i think you know why one movie succeeds and one tv show becomes a hit another uh doesn't i uh, often has more to do with how it was actually made uh, as well as the substance. Fundamentally, I think uh, success is driven by characters uh, and ultimately the, the execution of the show, how, it, how it's made. But uh, audiences really respond to interesting characters, interesting people. Yeah. Uh, and if the characters are interesting, uh, then ideally great and engaging stories uh, flow from them. In other words, you, know, you, you meet and talk to a lot of people. Uh, you're friendly with, with, with people. Yeah. And you're, all of the people who you know have many stories to tell. Yeah. And, you know, there is, everyone uh, has many experiences. And ideally, that's what, what, what drives story is great characters. So think about Anna Jones or think of the, the Lord of the Rings movies or, you know, go back in time. Mm. Uh, even with, a, say, you know, the silent era with a Charlie Chaplin or a Harold Lloyd. Audiences were following the characters they were playing. And because the characters captured the imagination of the audience, the filmmakers, the storytellers, came up with many stories. That's one of the reasons why, frankly, some of the better sequels uh, are, are made, because the first movie establishes the character yeah. uh, in a really compelling story. And then just like an interesting friend who you want to see again and again and, you know, have multiple conversations with. Same kind of thing with movies and television. So people follow the characters. They don't sit there, the, the, the film character, they don't sit there and say, aha, this is a Johnny Depp movie, it's going to be great, so I'm going to go. Well, I think that stars do, stars do matter, uh, especially in, in, in terms of, uh, maybe creating an identity for a given movie. If you're launching something new and you're trying to market it to an audience, it is sometimes helpful 
to have a recognizable name in uh, a given movie. Yeah. Uh, but a great star, uh, no matter how famous or popular, in a story that does not work, and maybe they're playing not-so-interesting characters, their name alone may open the movie, that may get you to tune into a television show, but that in and of itself, the, the star all by themselves, uh, will not uh, make a hit. But you put a star together with all of the other elements, great characters in a, in a terrific story. Now you have the ingredients for a hit. Uh, likewise, you can, you can have character uh, played by a complete unknown. Frankly, most of the people who were in, say, the Harry Potter movies. Twilight uh, movies. Yeah, you know, Twilight. They did, you know, they're global hits, but nobody really was going to see those movies because of who was in it. Of course, the movies have now made the players in them stars, sure, sure. but they didn't start out as stars. So, and, you know, going back again in time, I, I was with some people the other day, we were talking about uh, one of the most enduring characters, uh, uh, you know, of sort of modern cinema, the, the Rocky character. Yeah. And, you know, nobody knew Sylvester Stallone uh, back then, but uh, that movie made him one of the, the biggest stars in the world. True, true. Um, so how's the entertainment business, um, particularly movies and TV, well, <laughs> changed over the last 30 years or so? Well, yeah, it, it, it's, gotten, it's gotten more complicated, the entertainment business. Uh, when, 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 when I started in the business, uh, there were basically, in the U.S., we had three television uh, networks. Yeah. And pretty much on, a, on any given night of the week, uh, most of your audience was tuned to one of those three networks. And sure. movie theaters, by and large, were big. They seated in some major metropolitan areas, over a thousand people. Uh, they they were beginning to twin theaters, so you'd yeah. take these big movie palaces and make them into you know two theaters, two, yeah. three. But we didn't see that sort of multiplex. So I think the biggest thing that's changed in entertainment today is that there is just so much of it. Uh, we have so many choices, and uh, there are so many different ways to see entertainment. It used to be that movies would, would come out and they would play like a, like a theater company moving around the country in a platform release, and movies, movies would play for a long period of time because there were fewer theaters. Yeah. But we've seen the number of theaters grow, and, and now uh, you do most of your business on opening weekend. I've sometimes likened the, the way uh, movies open to the way it used to be on television when I started. In television, you premiere episode uh, to get yourself established. And if you didn't kind of come out of the gate and be in the lead, then you were in trouble. The guy, uh, looking, at, the guy looking at the overnights will cancel you. Yeah. Now, I... Uh, Television actually has a little bit of a luxury to build its audience, and you're seeing some terrific, terrific work on television everywhere in the world. Yeah, Movies, by, by you know, contrast now, if you don't open big on Friday night 
<laughs> you're gone. Yep. You're gone. It's a real horse race. And, of course, everybody knows uh, the, as far as the box office is concerned. 30 years ago, you had to be the head of distribution and the president of the studio to know how much your movie grossed over the weekend. Of course, they'd reported in the trades, but that was days later. Yeah. Now, everybody uh, listening to the news or going on the Internet knows exactly how, how much money a movie's made uh, in real time. Now you gave a, a talk on uh, visual effects at TED um, that happens to be up on TED.com. It's also um, up on your website, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, what's it like to work with some of the great visual effects artists and filmmakers on, on these blockbuster movies like Spider-Man 2, for example. That's well, been mind-blowing. Uh, it, it, it's incredibly exciting. I, I've, I've always been fascinated on a personal basis with sort of science and physics and sort of figuring out the impossible and, and, as importantly, dreaming and imagining the the impossible. Well, these people actually bring the impossible to life. Uh, and they are truly the rocket scientists of the entertainment industry. Yeah. Uh, they call it the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. And it takes a tremendous amount of both art and science to make these images work on the screen. What's it been like? Uh, amazing. Uh, I've gotten to work with really uh, the greats. Uh, Douglas Trumbull, who was a visual effects supervisor on uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind in 2001, wow. uh, Space yeah. Odyssey, yeah. Uh, and Blade Runner. Uh, extraordinary, extraordinary mind and an extraordinary person. Richard Edmund, who was uh, on Star Wars, uh, Ken Ralston at Imageworks, uh, you know, was also on the Star Wars team, and uh, at Imageworks got to work, really watch, this artist named Scott Stockdike uh, rise through the ranks to ultimately become the, uh, the, the visual, senior visual effects supervisor. I've worked with John Dykstra and uh, Jerome Chan. I mean, you just name them like Dennis Murin and John Noel. They're, they're, all, they're all so smart, and they understand what it takes from both a technological standpoint as well as a performance standpoint how to get these images on the screen. And it's, it, they're, they're able to hear what a director is asking for. They're able to read a script and envision it in their minds. They work yeah. with teams of artists to get the imagery right. And then they understand how to pull a team of hundreds of talented individuals uh, to actually um, integrate it with the live action photography. And uh, it must, it's amazing. In most jobs or professions, you really can be, for quite a period of time, as good as what you've done before. But special effects is one of those areas where you can't be as good as you were before because the next movie you do, you need bigger and better effects. So you've got to continually evolve almost on a daily basis, don't you? 
Uh, you're you're right, Bobby. You, you, you know, everybody wants to see something that you have never seen before. So, in visual effects, you certainly you certainly may get your next assignment based on the work that you just completed. But oftentimes, you're inventing new techniques and new technologies. I. Uh, as you go, you, you look at a, 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 a new project, and yes, there are always a few things, and not every, not every shot on a movie is, is groundbreaking. Mm. <laughs> some, of it, yeah. you know, some of it's pretty basic. But on your bigger movies, you're actually asked to do things that truly never have been done before, and you have to figure it out. And oftentimes... Uh, you you get to the end of the show and you really wish that you <laughs> you knew what you did at the end yeah. about four months ago five months ago because <laughs> there would have been perhaps better ways to have done it uh, but that's just part of it it is a yeah. constantly evolving profession that uh, you know hopefully improves at every turn. Well, you and I recently went to um, a fellow metal member. Elliot Mac Studio and watched a what I thought was an amazing demonstration of what can be done today with special effects and fantastic camera technology. How much of a difference does this level of technology make to the production of movies, both in terms of um, the cost of production as well as from the point of view of the visual experience? How much? I think that I think that I. The the impact is several fold. First of all, uh, visual effects do not come inexpensively, so yeah. uh, part of the impact uh, is a financial one. On the other hand, if you look at the movies that have consistently uh, performed the best around the world, and of course, one of the reasons that visual effects and animated movies perform well all over the world, is that it's visual storytelling. You don't need subtitles yeah. in order to understand uh, what's happening in a highly visual film. So it's, uh, it, it gives you an instant setting. But So what it's done is, uh, on the one hand, it's allowed us to really explore our imaginations. Virtually anything that can be conceived can, in fact, be created. So uh, from a movie-going experience, you have that. Uh, was once said, I believe, by the producer, Jerry Bruckheimer. He, he, he asked what he does. He said, you know, I'm in the transportation business. Uh, I take people <laughs> places they could not otherwise go. Yeah. And that, in many respects, is part of what happens with visual effects. We take audiences into worlds or introduce them to characters that they might not otherwise be able to experience. Uh, but you know, what, that, what that demands of us uh, is, on the one hand, this complete freedom, uh, and just as with the Spider-Man uh, character, with great power comes great responsibility. Yep. Yeah, I've heard <laughs> that before. We need to make sure <laughs> that we don't get lost in the visual effects themselves. Yeah. Uh, in other words, it's not just about the visuals. It goes back to the story and the characters. Make yeah. sure you're telling a story. Uh, and then I guess the last thing is that 
has grown more sophisticated. So those kind of quaint cheats you could get away with years ago, the audience is not only listening, the audience is watching. So it's very important that we get it right. And that, because as soon as we let our standards down, the audience recognizes that and it compromises their ability to stay engaged in a movie because all of a sudden what was keeping them locked into the story and the characters because it's so real, suddenly when it becomes not real, boom, it it really uh, takes you out of the story and uh, and ruins the experience. Okay, just getting away from that for a moment, turning to your background in marketing, what do you see as some of the top challenges and the opportunities in marketing today? Well, yeah, just as uh, we have a lot more entertainment choices, mm-hmm. and that same kind of fragmentation, that same kind of distraction, yeah. I think is presenting a really extraordinary opportunity or extraordinary challenge as well as opportunity to, uh, to, to marketers. Uh, I think the, probably the biggest challenge is that the audience is no longer concentrated in any one place. True. Uh, and because of that, as a clever marketer, you need to understand, A, how to break through the clutter and get attention. Yep. But, and second, you need to be able to do that in a way that really engages the audience. The audience, just as that audience for visual effects, you know, can spot the fakery. Yep. I think that today's consumer uh, is not so easily sold. They sure. want to know yep. that the voice of the person selling a product is authentic and real. I have opportunities now today to be able to really engage in a direct dialogue with our customers. Uh, and we can also, we don't necessarily need the filtering layers of the media per se. We certainly certainly work with media outlets to create TV programs, radio, as we're doing here, uh, and you know, broadcast, and they're all of the traditional vehicles. But now uh, there, there's an explosion in, in mobile. Uh, there are opportunities. Virtually everybody is a broadcaster. Uh, you have uh, websites that look like television networks today. True. So I, I think that, that there, there are many, many, many ways to reach the audience. The challenge for today's marketer is really developing the right that reaches your target audience, creates a reasonable expansion beyond the target, uh, and uh, does so effectively from a myriad of choices. So gone are the days of just do one commercial in a pretty ad yep. in, in a magazine. Yep. Now you need to tailor your materials to the very different uh uh, places where you're going to be uh, be placing that media, and That's, some of it's bought, 
Some of it sold, some of it you own, and some of it, a lot of it, you earn. Yeah, I think that's the difference. You've really got to earn it. Now, you're off to Germany to speak at the FMX conference in Stuttgart, where you're leading a summit on visual communication. Very quickly, because we're really running out of time, what are you going to speak about? Well, I'm looking at you know, visual effects and animation. We certainly know them from television and, and movies. But what we're also seeing is that the same tools and techniques can be used to help explain really complicated ideas or subjects. So, for instance, when we had the landing on Mars uh, last fall, uh, all of us knew exactly how the rover landed on Mars. Yeah. Not because we could see it real time, but because uh, there were some very talented artists who created an animation. So we're going to be talking about how we use uh, these tools uh, to uh, help uh, develop understanding and teach and learn and communicate. Fantastic. Well, Don, thanks very much for joining me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I really appreciate it. Now, if you'd like to find out more about Don, you can go to Smith Brook Farm. That's smithbrookfarm.com, where you can catch the great presentation that he made to Ted just recently. And it really is good. I, I sat there, I think it runs for about six and a half minutes, but it's, it's very good. I enjoyed it. And um, I will see you at the next meeting. We're, we're doing a, a movie and a, a television series together, hopefully. So I'll see you at the next meeting. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show right after this short break. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Radio Show. Well, there's absolutely no bullshit. And uh, coming to you this week from Los Angeles, and tomorrow I am on my way to Sao Paulo. The reason I love this segment is because it um, applies equally to small businesses and large businesses. No matter what business you're in or what part of the world you're located, it can help you. My first email tonight is from Jennifer Abrahams of Stockton, California, who writes, I love your program. Do you still live in Australia? Well, the answer is no to that question. I get asked all the time because my accent's still pretty heavy. But I've been in America for 27 years. I'm a citizen. I voted today. I've done all the right things. Um, So Jennifer goes on to say, I have a small business. My question is whether you think it is harder for a woman in business today than it is for a man. Hmm. Some of the challenges that I face, this is... Jennifer speaking, not being taken seriously, letting fear stand in the way, wanting to please everybody, wearing too many hats, and uh, not being able to t- 
toot my own horn. Well, I think you've got to get over that. Firstly, do I think it's harder for a woman than it is for a man? No. Um, I think that uh, these days, if you're very talented or you've got a great idea or whatever, doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, if it's good, it'll get there. Firstly, not being taken seriously. I, I think for people to take you seriously, they've got to respect you. If they don't respect you, you're dead. So, And they determine that within a minute of, of meeting you. So, you know, I don't believe that anybody's entitled to respect. I don't care who they are. They're not entitled to respect. You earn respect. So it's up to you to make a strong impression with what you say and how you say it and your demeanor. So... If you don't have that confidence, it's likely that you'll be perceived as a lightweight, irrespective of whether a man or a woman. So your second point was um, letting fear stand in the way. Well, I think everybody goes through this. I know I've been, I, years and years and years ago, I went down to Coca-Cola to make a pitch and I, I walked into the um, um, marketing director's office of Coca-Cola, and I was a gibbering idiot. I thought, this guy is going to chew me up and spit me out. Um, he didn't. He was actually very pleasant. But um, everybody get, has fear of failure, um, fear of letting yourself down, fearing of being on your own, fear of success. That's the one I don't understand. A lot of people are just you, – you hear about sports teams being afraid to win, it's true. They don't know how to handle winning, so they don't. And it just, they can be 10 points ahead and it creeps into their mind and they lose. <coughs> now, the more you know about your business, the more confident you are, the more your fears dissipate and um, very successful people just bite the bullet and go for it. What the hell have you got to lose? I always say that, uh, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? They can tell you to beat it. Who cares? Just go and knock on another door. There's millions of them. Now, your third point, wanting to please everyone. This isn't a gender issue either, Jennifer. Business is business. And um, if you've done your plan correctly and you're focused on the business, you know, you won't want to be business pleased except you want to get give them great customer service. The decision to make will be in the best interests of the company. So you just go out there and you do the best you can. And uh, at early stage businesses, every entrepreneur tries to wear too many hats. You have to. You can't afford to pay all these people. So sometimes it's necessary. Um, other times, it's because they can't let go and they don't trust other people. Well, that is a major barrier to success. And unless you resolve it early, your chances of failure are multiplied considerably. You have to trust the people around you. You have to give them their head. You have to let them make decisions. Start off by letting them make small decisions and as their confidence grows, because don't forget they're terrified of letting you down. So, um, you know, the more encouragement you give them, the more better decisions they're going to make, quite frankly. Your final point about being more difficult to brag about yourself because you're a woman is also one I simply don't accept. Um, it's always difficult to sell yourself. You know, you walk up to somebody and say, hey, look at me, I'm great. Well, you know, that doesn't work that well. Um, people just think you're a wanker. You know, so 
didn't get you anything. Then I'm a speaker, and if I find phone a bureau and I say, hi, I'm Bob Pritchard, and I'm fantastic, that's not going to work. So I need to have my manager do it. So rather than me bragging, it's a third-party endorsement who says you're wonderful. And again, it's up to the individual. You know, so do I think it's harder to be a woman? No. It's just damn hard to be successful, full stop. You know, man or woman, it's bloody tough. But you've got to be prepared. The whole thing is about being prepared. Why does why do football teams with guys who have been playing football for 15 years and know how to play it brilliantly, why do they need a coach? I know some singers that have been singing for 20 years and sold millions of records. You know what they have? A coach because nobody's got all the answers. Jennifer, thanks very much for your email. A copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, is on its way to you. So if you haven't, um, if you don't have a copy, go ahead and get a copy. I think you'll find it'll do you a lot of good. So send me your questions. Email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Google+. And until the same time next week, this is Bob Pritchard, hoping you have a fantastic and a successful week and go and kick some butt. Because those of you who listen to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, you're all winners. I'll see you next week, broadcasting from Sao Paulo in Brazil. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.